you just know when somebody loves Jesus and uh, somebody who doesn't fake it, you know, we can put on Christianity. And can I just tell you, pastors are the worst because we can get familiar with what we're doing and we can say all the right things and still be dark inside. And, 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 and I just want to challenge all of you that, that, that your Christian walk, though you may receive on Sunday, who you are is actually Monday morning. That's who you are. And so be, before I get started, though, I just want to thank you, Pastor Tom, for having me out. Guys, did we not have fun or what? Oh, man, that was a lot of fun. It, it was easy. It's easy to share with people when they're hungry. Amen? And I, I just am um, so thankful and I want to say something about encounters before I get started. And then I have, I have a couple words here I think I want to give. And the first thing is, is that everything in your life started with an encounter. And if you want to be all in, most people just don't go, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to be all in. Something radically took place with you and God that gave you the desire to say, okay, God, I'm ready. You can have my life. I'm all in, God, I lay it down. Most of us don't just volunteer to just be radical for Jesus. We have to have something happen to us. God has to meet us in such a way that he touches us that we can finally yield and say, here I am. God, use me, send me, touch my life. And so I'm telling you, you cannot underestimate the value of gathering and, and when you go on retreats and conferences and, and, and youth retreats and because if that kid or that wife or that husband has an encounter with God, they are given the opportunity to be all in. And we want to set those environments up for them. Amen? So I just want to encourage you. So I, I just wanted to start. It's Christy, right? Anyway, I, first service, I felt like the Lord, in fact, I, I wrote down worship girl, because uh, I didn't know who you are, and I just felt like the Lord says that you've caught his eye, you've caught his attention, your spirit, your worship, he, he's looked, and you've caught him, and the king has noticed you, and the king's eunuchs have set you aside and you're going through this beautification process right now and that God is going to spend a season where he's just beautifying you and he's going to pull out all the things that he wants to do in your life here and 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 I even asked Tom if that was an accurate word and he said God's already doing that and I just want to encourage you that you're in that process with the incenses and the oils and 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 I believe the Lord is challenging you that what you need to do is you need to take some significant intimacy time with God and just be with him and let God beautify and perfume you and perfect you. Amen. So I just want to encourage you. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. And uh, I just, um, I got this picture and I don't know who it's for. But I have grandkids. I, I, I'm married to my wife, 28 years, Lori. And by the way, if you were to come to my church, you would find out that in the ability of preaching, I'm the worst of all of my family. My kids can preach. My wife can share. They all are communicating. In fact, my daughter, Rachel. In fact, I, I just want to share this to you. Uh, moms and dads, how important it is to, 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 to dedicate your kids. It's just vital. I pray this over my kids every night. And I say to them that you're called, you're anointed, and you're a world changer. 
And my daughter is 24, and she's at Bethel uh, at their School of Supernatural Ministry. And last year, they had a really tough one. You know, they were shut down a lot. And she called me in tears one night. I said, what's wrong? And she says, Dad, just tell me once again what you tell me every day. And I said, oh, sweetie, you are called. You're anointed, and you're a world changer. And there's something about speaking life to your kids and it doesn't matter how old they are. You keep saying it to them. You keep saying it to them. And I just started crying because I recognized that my daughter needed to hear the voice of her papa remind her who she is because she was going through the toughest time. And I want to remind you that you're his anointed. You're his special dream. Amen. God's with you. God's with you. Amen. So I, I, I um, Tom, I believe that um, because you have endeavored to handle what's happened in the last couple years with as much integrity and focus on Jesus, God is going to release a new glory over this house like you have never experienced. It will come sovereignly. It will come unexpectedly. But mark my words, it's coming. And it's going to absolutely draw people to you. People are going to, as, the, as Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen over you, risen upon you. And I just sense that the Lord is going to do something that anointing cannot do, but glory always does. And I just think that you're going from an anointed church to a church that carries the glory of God. See, because glory, when God is glorified, he, he gets all the glory in that. Amen. It doesn't matter if a kid's here or Tom's here or Joe's preaching or who's ever preaching. God gets the glory in that. Amen. How many want God to get the glory? Well, let's cheer Jesus. Jesus is why we're here. Praise the Lord. So I want to talk to you about um, getting back on track. And the reason why I want to share this is because it's just important. I think the church in the season that we're in, we've lost track. We are focused on everything but what we should be focused on. And God has said, no, it's time to come back. It's time to come back on track. And I want to talk to you about how God brought Elijah back from his lowest point in ministry. And I think maybe there's some lessons here for all of us to learn. And, and so we, we all know the story of Elijah. We know the story of Ahab and Jezebel. And, and, in, and, and in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a, the, 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 the situation is Ahab, the Bible says he's the most wicked king Israel's ever had. They're living in a political and religious environment that the Bible says there's nobody worse. To this day, up to that point, nobody worse than Ahab has ever led God's people or has ever been in charge of God's people. I mean, think about it. How'd you like to live in, in, in what the Bible says is the worst environment that the church has ever had? And so he's in the worst environment. He, he, uh, Ahab's married to a, uh, this amazing woman named Jezebel. And of course, we all know she's not real amazing, and she's nobody that you want to name your daughter after, okay? Please don't do that. Don't do that to your kid. The point is, is that she's this wicked person, and she's gone about killing anybody who has the voice of God. 
She's began to knock off all the prophets of God. And, and, and the servant of Ahab has hidden 50 prophets in both caves. And so there's 100 prophets that we know about besides Elijah that are left. And, and God has finally sent Elijah on an assignment to stop the rains. And so he's basically said, Ahab, because of, your, because of your wickedness, we're shutting down the skies. There'll be no more rain. The crops won't grow. You're going into a famine. And so the environment is not real healthy. And so for three years, Ahab is actually, the Bible says he's looked everywhere trying to find, find Elijah because he wants to kill Elijah thinking that will stop the curse. And so after three years, Obadiah the servant of Elijah runs into Elijah, or, or, uh, uh, excuse me, the servant of Ahab runs into Elijah. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab, we're going to go meet at Mount Carmel and we're going to have a showdown. And so Obadiah, after much trepidation, who said, what, is God mad at me that you're gonna, he's going to kill me? <laughs> Because yeah, if I go back to Ahab and you're not, and you get translated somewhere like crazy prophets do, I'm going to get killed because I said I met you and I didn't do anything about it. And he says, no, I'll be there. Tell Ahab, be there. And so he gathers all of Israel together and they have the showdown. And you know the showdown where the 450 prophets of Baal come and Ahab is there and they're on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel at the time is where the sanctuaries of the pagan gods of the Asheroth and of the Baals were. And, and they were the, the weather gods and, and, and sex gods. And so they, literally God, God is bringing this thing to a head at the highest peak of where they're celebrating sin. And they go to this place to the enemy's territory, so to speak. And the prophets of Baal, they build the altar and they slay their things and they cut themselves and they jump on and off and they, prophet day, they prophesy day and they prophesy night and they get all the way to the evening sacrifice and Elijah's saying things like this, where's Baal? Call on him. <laughs> Is he sleeping? Is he going to the bathroom? Where's your God? And I mean, he's mocking them and he's making fun of them in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And finally, at the evening sacrifice, he says, okay, all of Israel gather around it. And he builds the altar of the Lord and he puts the wood. And by the way, every altar needs to have some things. He gathered 12 stones. Remember, Israel was only 10 tribes at the time. He gathered 12 stones. Do you know that God never excludes anybody in the body of Christ? Whenever he does something for you, it's for all 12 tribes. And so there's 10, instead of 10, he puts 12 stones. Every altar from the Lord will have 12 stones on it. It will have wood on it, and it will have a sacrifice. And they built a ring. They put water on it. And can I suggest to you, that's how your home altar should look like. Just extra. Think about that. And so what happens is, he pulls everybody down and he says, okay, the God who calls down, the God who answers by fire, he's God. And, and you know the story. He calls down fire and everybody bows down and it, it licks up the water and it actually burns up the rocks and it burns up the wood and it burns up the sacrifice and everybody starts cheering. Yeah, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they seize the prophets of Baal and they get rid of the prophets of Baal and they kill them there. And then Elijah says to Ahab, it's going to rain again. God's going to open the heavens because, and here's what happens when he says, 
When he says to Ahab, he says, when God's fire comes, I'm going to turn the hearts. God's going to turn the hearts of his people back to him. And God turns the hearts of the people back to him. And at the end of that sacrifice, he he bows as he tells Ahab, it's going to rain. And he goes and he prays. And we know the story where he goes down seven times with his head between his knees. And on the seventh time, his servant says, I see like a man's fist, a cloud coming out of the east. And he says, go tell Ahab, it's raining. And he grabs his loincloth and he runs down the mountain. The Bible says he outruns the chariots of Ahab. I mean, he's just supernaturally anointed. And he comes out of that anointing. He comes out of that a major victory. And the next day, he gets this message from Jezebel. And that's where we'll pick it up. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so the gods do to me and more so also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, speaking of the prophets that he killed, by tomorrow about this time. And something shifts and a spirit of intimidation, a spirit of fear sticks. Have you ever wondered how a man can be so high one day and be so low the next day? It was interesting. I'll just tell you a little I got it from Lester Summerall. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but I was at a, a, a vision meeting at Casey Treats Church at, at, at Christian Faith Center years ago when I first started ministry, way back when. And I remember at the end of the service, I was pulled into the back to meet Lester Summerall, and he said this. I could never forget it. Here's what he said. He was a really old guy. And he says, you come off the pulpit, and there's an anointing upon you. But when you step down from the pulpit, there's a transition between you just being a normal guy and you having this sense of, uh, of anointing. And, and as you come down, you're not yourself. And if you've studied the failure of many men and women of God, you'll find it's after a great victory that they fall. Because what happens is they come down and they become isolated. And they come into fear and they question, was their message good? Did they do what was right? And here's what he said to me. And I remember what he said to me. He says, after every time you preach, surround yourself with people who love you until your feet are on the ground. Because until your feet are on your ground, you're not here and you're actually not there. You're in this in-between place. And I don't know if that's what happened to Elijah, but Elijah found himself in this dark black hole. And he found himself, this spirit of intimidation from this woman came, and he got scared, and the Bible says he ran. Now, God didn't ask him to run, but he ran. And it's interesting, and, and, and when fear comes, it pushes you into an isolated place. Do you know that? And, and Tom has taught this, I'm sure. I've heard him say it before. He says, fear just makes it, your life smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's exactly what's happening here. He gets, it, his whole life gets smaller. And so, and so what happens is he, he in, in 1 Kings 19 verses 4, it says this, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down at the broom tree and prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now the Lord take my life for I am no better than my father's. Do you know what he does? The verse before, the Bible says he goes to Beersheba and he leaves his servant there. He doesn't even take a friend. And he runs into isolation. He runs into that place because he's absolutely been intimidated until the fear has taken over his life. And so what does God do to get this guy back on track? 
Because I don't want to focus how bad he failed. I want to focus on what did God do that brought this guy back to where he needed to be? And so let's look at it. The first thing he did is he told him to take care of himself. I, 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 it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it says stop and take care of it. First Kings chapter 19, 5 says this. Then, then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like the most spiritual solution to my life. What does God say? I mean, so many of us, we want, you know, like lightning bolt <laughs> flashes and everything. That didn't work. You're going to find out. That doesn't impress him. That doesn't change his fears. That doesn't change his position. The first thing God says is, hey, you've got to have some self-care right now. What you need to do is you need to allow me to feed you. Because right now you're broken. And the first thing you need to do is eat. Now, that's both physically and spiritually. And for the Christian, who's the bread of life? Who's the bread of life? What is the angels doing? He says, I'm going to bring you angels' food. I'm going to bring you the bread of life. And what, all I want you to do, and, and by the way, have, have you noticed that when, you, when you're fearful and you're afraid and, and you're scattered and, and discouraged, you get tired? The Bible says he goes under a broom tape and he falls asleep. And it's almost like you can't get out of bed. You can't seem to move. You can't seem to progress. It's almost like you're paralyzed. I know people who, who have gotten to the point, I can't hardly get them out of their house. And he says, I just want you to eat. All I want you to do is feed. Just feed on me. That's the first thing I want you to do. It's just feed because, you, because you're going on a journey. And the journey of freedom I'm taking you on, you can't do it in your own strength. Can I suggest to you, you can't deliver yourself. You can't be your own victory. You have to go on that journey with God until he brings you into its fruit. Does that make sense? He says, arise, eat. And then he looked up and there at the head, at, at, by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Everybody's on a journey that you can't run on your own. There's not a Christian here that is strong enough to make it. There's not a person in here that isn't an intimidation away or a fear away of slipping into things. You have to arise. You have to eat. You have to feed. There is no escaping the basics. And can I suggest to you, you got to take physical care of yourself too. Can I suggest to you that you have to learn to love yourself enough? Because if you don't love you, how are you going to love the world? If you can't take care of you, how are you going to take care of those you feel God's put on your heart? We're some of the worst people when it comes to self-care and taking care of who we are, both spiritually and physically and emotionally. And, and it's time for the church to say, I know it doesn't sound like a really amazing point, but if you skip this point, the other points don't matter because you won't have the strength to finish. So let's get the first things first. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. You get that, right? And so he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Uh, see, we don't even know how important it is to be physically and spiritually nourished because how many know that 40 days is a type of wilderness? 
In your wilderness journey, God can sustain you if you'll eat. In your wilderness time running when you're not even supposed to be running, God will still sustain you if you'll eat. And I want all of us to begin to understand that. What's the second thing that God teaches him? He tells him, stop escaping. And I think so many Christians are living in an escape world. I'll give you an example. I, I was counseling a, a couple j, j, just a couple years ago. In fact, he's going to become a deacon. Things have just so turned around for them. And, and, and their marriage is not good. I mean, not good, okay? And they come in to meet, and she's unhappy with him. He doesn't even know what he's doing wrong. Guys, sometimes we just have no clue. And, 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 and they're in this bad relationship. And <laughs> somebody gets it. I say, hallelujah, we have no clue. Hey, don't point at the guy. Whatever you, don't point at your spouse in church, okay? Not cool, right? Just, I mean, you can bite your tongue till blood comes out the nose, but don't, <laughs> but don't point at him, excuse me. <clears throat> so, so I meet with them, and as we're, we're there, the Holy Spirit, how many know the prophetic words of God can be so good if they're handled correctly? And, and, and the Lord tells me, ask her what she's reading. And I said, you like to read, right? And she goes, yeah, I loved reading. And I said, you like romance novels, don't you? And she goes, yeah. I said, so your husband doesn't look anything like those novels, does he? You've set up an expectation for him that's a fantasy. And you're living in an escape. You're escaping your marriage. You didn't even have to leave the house, but you've checked out emotionally. You didn't even have to run, but you have ran. And now your husband is always being filtered through the romance novels you're reading. Why do you think... Guys struggle when they see every Budweiser commercial and every billboard and everything. The world is projecting women that you'll never, ever be. Nor do you, should you want to be. But what is the world doing is trying to get you to escape into a world that detaches you from what's real. You see, this is what the Lord said to in 1 Kings. So we arose and ate and drank and went into strength... Uh, of that food 40 days and nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. And by the way, this cave is not a cave of God's making. He's led himself into a cave. And how many know that God can follow you into caves? Have you figured this out? Think of this. David says this, though I make my bed in hell, you are with me. You're there also. When we think that God's not in hell, that's not true. He's everywhere. You don't get to touch him there. You can be in the depths of the waters, the Bible says, and he'll be there. So many times we say, oh, you know, the Lord, the Lord worked. It was all the Lord's plan. How many know that that cave was actually not the Lord's plan, but God will work in it? How many know that God is like, oh, God set up the cave. He made it all happen. It was all. No, I think he's running. God doesn't, and I'll tell you how I know that. Look what it says. God says this to him, and the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know about you. I have five kids and grandkids, and when I ask them, that's parent talk, man. I don't, have you, did anybody know what parent talk is? When you say to your kid, 
what are you doing here? I mean, you can say, God's our father, and he's now doing some fathering on Elijah. And he's saying, as your father, I need to ask you a question, Elijah. What in the world are you doing in the cave? How do you think you got here? You see, so it doesn't appear to me in Scripture that God led him into the cave. I believe he ended up in the cave and God was there in the cave because God's everywhere. He's in our mess. Have you figured out God's in the middle of your mess? He's your Messiah even in your mess. And you have to allow him, you have to recognize when so many people, oh God, where are you? He's right there. Oh God, you know the mess that I'm in. I know I'm with you in it. And when you will acknowledge that I'm with you in it, we can do something about that now. But until you acknowledge that I'm actually in your mess with you, I can't help you. We keep thinking, if we always have this view because we think God's hard. But if you don't think God is good, then you'll never see God in your mess with you. You'll always think you have to come out of your mess so that you can be with God. And God says, that's not how it works. And he's teaching Elijah that very lesson. He's in his mess. And God said, what are you doing here? I'm surprised we don't have Elijah said, well, God, what are you doing here? I'm running. (laughs) I didn't know you would be here. I thought I was getting as far away. You can get as far away from God as you think, and he is still there. You can be as in the darkest hole that you think it is. You can want to end your life like he did. I just want to die. And let me tell you something, friend. Be very clear. He will be there even when you try to kill yourself because he will not leave you. I, that's a prayer. You can praise that. Amen. I have no problem with amens, by the way. But that's the kind of parent tone that we have. But, but let's talk about escaping. Some of us, man, you've got to get rid of your pocket porn. I'm sorry, guys. Girls, now. You're escaping. You, you, you can't make it through the day without Facebook, Instagram, ESPN scores or whatever. I mean, literally, this electronic leash has got you so bound, but it's your way of, quote, checking out. Can we stop with the me time? Oh, I just need my me time. No, you don't. You need time with God, not me time. Me time puts you in the cave. God time puts you in the will of the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. And so, whether it's drugs, games, you ever wonder how people get in, into that stuff? I was, I was a drug addict. I, get, I had to escape a terrible childhood. I didn't know how to escape. So drugs and alcohol were a great substitute to medicate me, to hold me. But all it did was hold me in a cave and I get out of the cave and I get smaller and smaller and smaller. I was so bad in my life that I saw snakes. I saw demons. I have seen devils. I have been with devils. They're real. It's not a joke. I've been so lost before I came to Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, there is a dark side that you don't even know what the dark side is like. It's so dark. And yet God was with me there. And God was setting it up so that I could come out of it. Amen. Amen. The third thing that happens is you've got to learn how to share your feelings. Now, come on, guys. I'm going to talk to you about feelings. You know, the feelings, you know, because, guys, we know how we like to cry a lot, right? We just like to just unburden our soul. And we like to tell the whole world about everything that's going wrong in our life, right? And... Uh, <laughs> God wants to give you emotions and feelings back. 
1 Kings 19.10 says this. So he said, remember, God's talking to him. What are you doing here? And here's his response. And by the way, he's being honest. And he's sharing his emotions. And what you're going to find out, <coughs> excuse me, is when he shares his emotions, very rare, very, most of everything he shares, there's no truth in any of it. But it's how he feels. Have you ever met somebody, they just, they feel some way, but you know, man, that is crazy. How did you get to that point in your life? Because fear makes you stupid. Fear does something in your life. In in, intimidation, it makes you think things are something because that's how you feel. And most of us, what's happened is is we don't understand. There's a difference between what is true and how we feel. How many know that your feelings are true, but they're not accurate most of the time? You know what I mean? It's like, yes, I'm not going to deny when somebody feels some way, but that doesn't mean the way they feel is a truth. Does that make sense? And so here's what he says. He says, so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. And they seek to take my life too. How many know that that's not true? They just destroyed the prophets of Baal. He knows Obadiah has hid a hundred prophets because Obadiah tells him when he meets him. Nothing he's saying has any truth to it, but he feels rejected and abandoned and he feels like he's isolated. And you know what? All of those feelings are valid, but they're not actually true. But does God say, hey, mate, you, 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 sh- sh- quit complaining. Be quiet. Stop. You know, God is looking for you to actually give him your emotions. Do you know the dangerous part if you don't share even? And by the way, don't share this stuff with people who can't handle it. Have you figured that out? There's people, they're called miserable comforters. Have you met any of them? The miserable comforters. Like you share it with them and you're like, all it was is gossip now. <laughs> all it becomes is everybody in the church knows your business and it's like, what just happened? And then you shut down, you don't want to share it all. But here's the point. <clears throat> Especially when you hold your emotions in, something builds up inside. And two, one of two things happens. You either explode. Have you met the guy that's, you know, we call him postal. They just... They, they've been gentle and quiet, and all of a sudden, they just go off, and they just explode, and you wonder, how'd that guy ever get to that? Because you stuff it, and you stuff it, and you stuff it until there's nowhere else for it to go. Even this morning, there's a, a gentleman I got to pray for in the first service. He said to me, I'm numb. I'm just numb. We get to the point where the best way we deal with things, we go numb. Do you know what they say about most suicides? They say those who attempt suicides and it happened, they said, you ask them why, they said, I can't feel anymore. I just can't even feel anymore. And I just wanted to feel again. And they cut themselves. They just want to feel again. Because they've gotten to the point they're so numb that they've just checked out. You've seen it in marriages. You've seen it in relationships. You've seen it in churches. You come to church and the same things preached. And it's just everybody's just malaised and they're just numb and they quit feeling and they don't, they don't deal with things deep inside. And because they don't deal with things, they shut down. Have you been around somebody you can tell they've been shut down? They just like, they just shut down. 
And, 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 and it's like you can't, get, it's just, can't go any farther. You have to be okay with getting alone with God and just crying it out, man. Just cry it out. Tell him what's going on. And it doesn't even have to, I mean, and by the way, God knows this already. You're only telling God what he already knows. And I think we have to get back to be willing to share, amen? You got to share your feelings. You know, David, several times in the New Testament, or or in the Psalms, he shared, and and here's one, and I'm just going to give it to you. He says this. He says, I cried out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. I poured out my complaint. I wanted to look and see if that was a different word, but it was complaining. It's the same word for complaining. He's like, he's complaining to God. That doesn't sound real spiritual, but it made it in the canon of the Bible. So God believes that it's okay for you to tell him your complaint. I declared before him my trouble when my spirit was set uh, overwhelmed within me. Then you knew my path. In the way I walk, you have secretly set, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand, I see, for there's no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. And he's saying this. Guess where he's at? In a cave. <laughs> He's in a cave. It's when he goes to the cave to Ablam. And it's interesting. God can take your cave and turn it into a place of refuge when he's done with you. And he can use your pain to help other people get out of their pain. Amen? And everybody said, don't be numb. Let me tell you one more story about being numb that I think is important. My son... Caleb, he's 13 years old, and, and we had Pastor Dan Hammer, you know him, he speaks here, and we had another church, um, Dan Idy, his church and ours, we did a three, 130 kids at a youth retreat this year, and we went to Vantage, and so my wife was there, and my son Caleb, he's just on fire, a little kid, I love him, and there's a kid that came, and I won't use his name, um, but he came, he's a 13-year-old kid, Caleb had never met him before, and at the altar, God is just doing, I mean, kids are just getting rocked, getting wrecked, God is just moving everywhere, I mean, they're all over, Caleb's prophesying over this kid, and this is what he says to this kid, he tells me this, he, this is what he says to the kids, he says, the Lord, the, the, the Lord is showing me that you haven't cried since you were five years old, and that God wants to restore your emotions. And the kid just breaks and just starts crying and crying and crying. And so he tells us the story. Well, and, and we're thinking, awesome, this kid, you know, he's back on track with God. His emotion, you know, he's going after God again. And, but we didn't know the whole story. So my wife goes and takes Caleb to visit this kid. And the kid lives in Mount Vernon. It's an hour away. So they go and drive up there. And they visit. And, and she's sitting down with the mom. And the mom says, what happened to my son? And my wife goes, what do you mean? She says, He's different. He feels again. He, 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 he smiles. He's excited. And, and, and my wife says, well, my son prayed this prayer that, you know, he said at five years old, he hadn't cried since five. And the mom just starts bursting out. She says, at five years old, we adopted him because his family life was so bad that we, he was taken out of the house because his dad attacked him and stabbed him in the back with a knife. And he's never cried again. He's never cried again. 
You see, some of us have had things happen, traumas in our life from way back when. And it has shut down a part of our emotion. We love God. We want to serve God. But something's been shut off. And God wants to uncork that today. He wants that to come back. And he wants you to say, I can't live knowing that that, that, that victimization, that trauma is keeping me from everything God wants me to experience and encounter. And so many of us, we don't realize, and men especially, dad was hard, dad abused. I, I did it to my own son. I didn't even know Mario was this fabulous baseball player. And, and I mean, he's playing select baseball, little league, all stars. I mean, he's good. And I'm a coach. And, and my son's turning around third, and he slips, and he breaks his ankle coming home. And I'm yelling, oh, come on, let's go. And I mean, he's got a broken ankle. And I'm saying, oh, walk it off. Come on, you can do this. And you know, I'm one of those guys. I'm sorry, I changed. I promise I changed. I'm not that guy anymore. I have changed that. That guy doesn't exist in me anymore. He's dead. Thank you, Jesus. I died. But my son's got a broken ankle, and all I can think about is, come on, man. You got to get home. You got to make score the thing. The kid's ankle's broken, and he's looking at me. And so, you know, God fixed it. But it wasn't the ankle God was trying to fix. It was me projecting on my son things that had happened in my life. And it shut my son down in a relationship between me and him because I wasn't sensitive to the fact that I was more concerned about him scoring the run than his broken ankle. And I had to ask my son to forgive me. And it took a while for him to open up and actually receive me again as a dad because I had done something to him that traumatized his view of a father. And I had to fix the father. So we're good now. Thank you, Jesus. Life lesson. But there comes a point that you've got to be willing to share. Amen. And then finally, the last thing today I want to share with you is once you start plugging back in, it's very simple. You just, you got to listen and obey. And in 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12 says, then he said, go out and stand. God tells Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. God had to show him all the distractions. Now, there's, we have many guys can go back and forth, what the wire, fire, wind, and, 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 but that's not the point. The point is that he had to get past everything else to the still small voice. And my prayer for you today is that God's voice will become the loudest voice you listen to. It'll be the loudest voice in your heart. Not my voice, God's voice will be the loudest voice you listen to. And I want to challenge you. He was simply told. And in this still small voice, he gives these just basic, simple instructions. Aren't you glad? I'm, I'm a guy. I like it. Just simple. Just keep it simple, Lord. I can do simple. Amen? So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, Where are you? what are you doing, Elijah? Isn't that interesting? He asked him again, okay. Now let's ask the question again. 
He's heard the still small voice. He's dealt with his emotions. He's poured out his soul to God. He's poured out his complaint. He's, he, he, he's gone through all of this time. By the way, this is a 40-day stint. And so here we are at the end of these 40 days. And, and the Lord asks him the question. And once again, he gives him the same answer. But the Lord knows now it's different. And he says this. He says, and he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord the God of hosts, because the children have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I am alone left, and they seek to take my life. And the Lord answers this. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria, and you shall also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as the king of Israel, and Elijah, the son of Shaphath, of Abel... Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of, Je- uh, 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 of Jehu, Elijah will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And, and he settles the issue, Elijah, I've heard your complaint, but here's the truth. And now Elijah's ready to hear the truth. And Elijah now has clear instructions to move out from that place of brokenness and back into the places of truth, back to the place what God has for him. Does that make sense to you today? Maybe some of you today, where God wants you is he just wants you, it's time for you to stop and take care of yourself. Or maybe some of you today, it is he want, you've been escaping, you've got all kinds of things to escape. I'm going to call the worship team to come up now. And as they come, I've got a couple of things I want to share. Um, uh, or how about this? You know that there's something emotionally broken in you, and it is time for you to just share your feelings with God. As invalid as, as, as they may be, they're still feelings, they're still real, and you can't move on until that gets out. You just can't go forward because as long as that's festering, you will always come back and complain to God and you will never find that he is a good father and he can take you where you need to go. Would you stand with me? And uh, as you stand, I, I, I'm, we're going we're gonna to have an altar time, but as they're preparing to do this, I want to tell us, I have a story I want to tell that's, that is one of the greatest marriage miracles that I have ever been a part of. And uh, is that me? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Just go ahead and put your hands out while I tell the story. I think it, and just put yourself in a posture. And um, I, was, I was coming, I, I, I have a morning prayer time. And by the way, every pastor should probably have a morning prayer time. Every Christian should probably have a morning prayer time. And I'm coming out of my morning prayer, and we have a bookkeeper. She wasn't attending our church at the time, but she was our bookkeeper for this church, an outside bookkeeper. And I come out of prayer. It's about 8 in the morning. I don't remember my Wednesday, Thursday. I don't know what day, exact day it was. And I walk out, and here she's coming up the road because I live right next to the church. I don't need more, thank God. By the way, it's nice when I'm not living next to the church. Trust me, it's a nice thing for pastors not to live next to the church. And um, she's coming up the road, and she's just bawling. She's crying. She's walking. I mean, she's walking. She doesn't live close to the church, but she's walking. 
And she's walking up the road, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what happened? And uh, her husband was a guy that worked in South Dakota, and she was there in Seattle. And she comes up, and she comes, and she literally falls in my arms. And she's sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing. And she begins to tell me, my husband has just informed me that he's been cheating on me and that he's gotten another woman pregnant in South Dakota, and I don't know what to do. And I know the guy, and I know her. And then she said, and he's told me now that this is actually the 12th woman in their marriage. And, 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 and I'm thinking, well, this is an easy one. <laughs> we can fix him real easy. Because, I, you know, I'm one of those guys that's like, I don't, I don't know how you feel, but my first instinct, and this is coming from prayer, is like, I will talk to the guy after I hit the guy. And then I will ask God to forgive me for hitting the guy. Because she's a good woman. And, 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 and I'm holding it in, thank God I've come from prayer, so at least I have a little Jesus moving inside of me, you know, just, just a little bit of God moving, right? And I, it's, it's, I'm serious. And so I looked her in there and I said, what do you want to do? And she says, all the way here, all I could hear is stand on the healing of your marriage. And now I've got my head, on, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, no, God. How can this be? How could you ever put this woman through this? There's just no way. God, you can't do this. And I got composure and I said, are you sure that's what you want? She said, yes. Would you meet with us? And now I'm thinking, oh no, now it's me. Now I have to meet with this guy. And I, I, I don't want to. And it's like, this is the biggest mess I've ever seen in my life in marriage. I don't, God, you know, and, and by the way, I've seen people healed. I've seen legs grow. I've seen eyes. I, I've seen miracles. And I have zero faith for this one. I mean, I I'm not only don't have faith for this one, I'm looking for, can I get forgiveness if I do something? I mean, I am not in a good spot right here. And I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not. And maybe some of you, because oh, you're way more spiritual to me, you never thought like that. But the point is, I'm in this spot with the Lord, and I'm like, God, what do I do? And so I invite them in, and I remember, I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I, I got to get changed. How can I counsel people that I can't believe can be healed? And that week was hard, and I brought them in, and, and man, I, I, I looked him in the eye, and I said to him, I just want you to know that I am so angry right now. I just want to jump across this desk, and I want to strangle you. I, w- I told him the truth. I said, and I said, but if you will work on this, I believe God will do something. I spent a year, every week, with this couple and I watched God do a miracle I have never seen the likes of in my life and then I realized something the miracle wasn't just for them the miracle was for me too because I had pronounced death over something that God had not said was dead I had sentenced the death of a marriage that God was not interested in killing but wanting to have live. 
And I had to repent from the Lord and say, God, I want to partner with you for everybody who wants restoration. How can I say restore the drug addict, restore the prostitute, restore the broken, and then when I'm given a restoration story that looks bigger than me, that looks impossible, and actually is going to cost me a lot of time and a lot of prayer and a lot of sweat, I don't know if I want to do that one. And I watched in that year, God heal a marriage, heal a family, give the little girl, came to live with them. And, and, and that family has been married and is one of the greatest examples of marriage for the last 12 years. 12 years. And I share that because I believe that we get to the point where we become so emotionally dead, even in our marriage and our relationships, that it feels like there's absolutely no hope, no way out, nothing's going to change. And I'm here to tell you God wants to restore that today. God wants to restore that today. Would you close your eyes and would you bow your heads? And I'm going to go after something here. And I, and I need your candid honesty. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to say, have you decided that the relationship you're in is dead and it can't be fixed have you gotten to the place where you have escaped and you have come up with every reason and yet and you're you're in a relationship but it's no relationship it's two people living in the same house and there's no more connection there's no more spice there's no more life there's no more love it seems like it's just you're going through the motions and and you are dying inside and your emotions are being shut down and you're becoming hardened and you said god i can't do this anymore if that's you i want you to raise your hands don't look around raise your hands Come on, it's time. It's time. God's going to give a breakthrough. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Thank you for raising your hands. Thank you for saying, yes, God. There's some of you today, it's just you're living, this world has been so hard and you've seen so much and you've been caught up into so many things and you're like, God, I just want to escape. I just don't want to deal with things anymore. Who, who am I talking to right now? Raise your hand. You're saying, I'm just, I, I, I've been living a life of escape. I've been finding other things to replace what God has for my life. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for raising your hands. Thank you so many of you for saying yes, because I believe today is your day. God didn't send me here just so we can say, good job, Pastor Anthony. He sent me here because he wants a breakthrough in this house today. He wants men and women free today. He wants you to be on the road of revival, a road of recovery. He wants to take you out of the cave and bring you into the light and release new assignments over your life today. But you've got to go after it today. You've got to say, Lord, you've got to be willing to say, some of you, God is asking you, what are you doing here? And I don't mean in this church. You know what I mean. What are you doing in this place? How did you get here? Why did you let yourself get here? And God said, he's not judging you. He's certainly not mad at you. But I'll tell you what he is. He's wanting you to answer the question.